I'm Jason Inman, and you're listening to Geek Vibes. It's geeky, and it's vibey. It's awesome. Geek Vibes Live presents Wrestling Geek Alliance, a wonderful show about wrestling, where me, uh, your host, Dane, uh, Disney D, Dane Alves, um, and my wonderful co-host, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing lovely. So where the two of us uh, converse about wrestling. And um, uh, Chris, I got some great news. Uh, I have no idea if it's true or not. Um, there's this new feature on Blog Talk Radio, which is the uh, the service that we use to be able to do the whole entire uh, this this whole thing, people of uh, Geek Vibes Nation. But anyways, it counts apparently how many episodes in we've been, and so we are on season one. Apparently, episode thirty. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's taking the title that are exactly alike because I've been doing that for a long time and it's missing some. But I feel like we've been doing it more than thirty episodes. But either way, if we can start this count and be a little bit more professional, <laughs> that's all that matters. So. We're at episode 30. Isn't that great, Chris? Do you, do you think that we've had more than that? I feel like we've had more. I feel like 30 is is probably about where we're at. I, I don't know. We've had a couple of weeks where we were off and a couple of weeks where I wasn't here. Well, well, that was only once or twice. But So I'm thinking 30 might be pretty close as far as official episodes. Well, as long as we can say now, hey, you're listening to episode 30 of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, call 929-477-3781. And, uh, you know, we are part of the Geek Vibes Live Network, Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, check out our Facebook page, Twitter, all that type of stuff. And check out our other shows. Uh, we got an interview with Michael Rosenbaum tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, just tune in. Tonight we talk wrestling. And uh, we don't have Thomas tonight, unfortunately. He had some, um, some phone issues. So it's going to be in Chris for the most part. So, like I said, if you guys want to call in, 929-477-3781, press 1, and you will be queued in to ask your question. All right. Well, let's get over some uh, some topics, uh, Chris. Um, some topics for these haters. All right. Uh, I think that we should go into it, man. Um, let, let me go over the series of events of where we've gotten to for this first uh, topic, which I call Enzo Moore versus 205 Live. All right, Enzo Moore jumps to 205 Live because, well, they have nothing for him to do on main, and he still sells a shitload of merch. He's babyface as hell. Goes on 205. That week, uh, the ratings jump, and they're in top 10, uh, more towards the end. But as I think Brian Alvarez mentioned, it, the May Young were all the top four for that week. So if they weren't there, if you think in retrospect, that would mean that 205 Live would be higher but still, they were doing really well. Next week, I think they dropped a little bit, and then they had, I think, a 50% drop uh, the next week after that. So it started going down, not as bad as it was, but it started going down a, a, a very good amount. Uh, the, one of the best wrestlers uh, in ring-wise, and also heel-wise, I think he's amazing on the mic, Neville, uh, loses – his cruiserweight title. They don't make him. They don't make a build up between the two of them, you know, or anything like that. Instead, we're gonna go over more of it. But Neville wins the title, and then kind of goes heel on Monday Night Raw, calling out the whole entire cruiserweight division, telling them that they're all crap. Neville says that they were. He was basically thrown upon them because they had nothing else to do with them. So basically, just taking small little smacks at the cruiserweight division. 
Did I mention you all of them were there, people that probably saw it? Um, Enzo starts bitching about if, you know, if, if he wasn't there, the show wouldn't be anything. He explains to all the people there that if they touch them, that he has a new clause that he did with uh, Kurt Angle uh, that grants no one be allowed to touch him uh, unless they have an actual match or they will lose the ability to get a title shot against him. So Neville says, screw that, and attacks him. Um, and it followed, which I watched the uh, footage afterwards of what happened after the cameras went off. Braun Strowman comes out, kicks the crap out of Enzo, and then the, the cruiserweight division jumps in the ring and all of them take turns doing their finishing moves on Enzo Amore. Uh, at one point, he took his old shirt, his uh, certified G-shirt, and like said that that was it, basically, and like put in... Uh, it was it was it was ridiculous. Uh, there was also mention that Neville had never been to the uh, to the hour three of Raw, and this is what it felt like. A lot of slapping in the face with Neville not be being uh, you know able to pull numbers while obviously Enzo can't wrestle in the ring. And now we have stuff in in the mix that apparently they're thinking about taking Neville and taking him off two hundred five live and boosting him on either Raw or SmackDown, which I'd be very happy for him if that was the case. But now that the whole entire cruiserweight division has screwed their opportunity of getting a title shot, and there's rumors that Rey Mysterio and also um, Hurricane are both people that might be coming to WWE, what the fuck is going on with the cruiserweight division, and how do you feel about this this struggle? And what is Enzo a babyface or a heel? I know I'm throwing a lot of questions at you, but this to me is the most fascinating bullshit out of all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, Chris. It's a it's a really strange situation because I was trying to figure out who all was in the ring um, during this end or this run over. Was Jack Gallagher part of this? I think everyone was there. It was Brian Kendrick, Jack Gallagher, uh, Cedric Alexander, um, the new cruiserweight, Grand Metalik. I forgot what the new one's called, but he just came over. El Desperado or something like that. No, I think it's a guy from New Japan. But yeah, pretty much the whole entire division I think was up there. There was no one I don't think missing. I had a hard time keeping up with who all was in the ring, um, and they didn't do a good job of, like, pointing out exactly what was going on. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I feel like what they'll do is they'll hold some sort of six-man match to determine the, um, you know, the number one contender. I don't know what they're going to do with Neville. Um, I feel like if they're going to put him off, 205 Live, it would make the most sense to put him on SmackDown. Just because yeah. I don't know where what he would really do on Raw. Raw has, like, all of the big wrestlers, like, all of the big guys. Like, they're really top-heavy, and we've kind of talked about that um, in the past. Even someone like Jason Jordan is so much bigger than Neville. Um, yeah, I think Finn Balor's, and, like, the only small guy on Raw, actually. I mean, well, I guess Seth Rollins, to some extent, is a smaller guy. Dean Ambrose is, like, even though, like, he, I mean, he's technically a smaller guy, but Dean Ambrose is still, you know, pretty damn tall, and so is Seth Rollins. So, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting situation they got themselves in with with Neville, and it sucks because the guy's a great wrestler and a really good heel. I just don't think he'll ever get the push to the top of the card on Raw, whereas if he could go and get himself over on SmackDown, he would have more of a, a chance there. I think to make an impact, maybe as a like in the U.S. Uh, U.S. title scene for sure. Um, 
as far as the rest of the cruiserweight division, it would make sense to bring someone else in, and it could be that they're going to move someone from NXT up. Um, I don't know who yeah, that would be. Johnny Gargano, you know. Uh, but I think Johnny Gargano would up. be. A... What do yeah, they Johnny do with Gargano, Ciampa, though when he's ready? Just bring him to bring him to two hundred five live and have him have the feud on there. That might actually bring viewers if they were to do that, honestly. Or I mean, I mean, he can still be on because two hundred five live is still filmed. There's no reason why he could. I don't think there's a reason why he couldn't still do NXT and just kind of float back and forth. Um, between those two things, unless they also needed him on Raw, because then you have to do Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. It just depends on what they're going to be doing with 205 in general. It's just It's been in such a weird spot for a while. Um, yeah. And then as far as Enzo Amore, it, what, I mean, kind of what he's going for is like this lovable heel Eddie Guerrero character, but then the, what they gave him to work with last night kind of made it seem like they want him to have a full heel turn, which I don't know. And why would they do that? I think He's because his stick merch, is kind of getting old. I know, but his stick is getting old, so I feel like they're giving him more to work with um, because he can talk. It's it's harder to be a heel and, and you know, still sell merch than it is to be a baby face. So I feel like maybe they're going to try yeah. to build up another big baby face against him. Someone like you, uh, like you said, like if you're bringing in Rey Mysterio Jr. against like a heel Enzo Amore, it's not a – I mean – you you obviously at that point you would have like a pretty good heel a guy that can talk on the mic versus Rey Mysterio Jr. who's not really going to talk but I mean he's just loved in general um, I feel like that's a pretty decent matchup if they wanted to go that route or even Johnny Gargano you know who can talk and, and could go back and forth a little bit with Enzo so there's some stuff they could do there it's just a really weird situation they kind of put themselves in absolutely and maybe they think having a heel Enzo will draw interest because it's not his same stick. So they're like, this guy's just got super, he's just got charisma in general, and whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, people are still going to want to watch him, I think, is what they're going with. They just don't want people to mm-hmm. get tired of his, like, his stick, because it hasn't really changed. So I, I could see them doing, you know, doing it for that reason, where they're like, well, maybe if we have a bad, you know, if we turn him, like, where every other cruiserweight's getting screwed by him week after week after week, um, it'll make him like a super top heel in 205 Live and people will want to see him get taken down and pegged by someone. The problem is that they haven't really built up anyone to the level of that, you know, like type of baby face, maybe with the exception of Gallagher, who's been off TV for so long now that I don't know that he has the same steam he had, you know, two or three months ago. But it's a weird situation. Well, now he's uh, a heel, so. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I forgot they did that whole thing. It's so hard to keep up with 205 Live, man. It, it just really is. Yeah. So, I mean, the only baby faces they have at this point, who, I mean, who is their baby face then? Like Lindsay Dorado well, that, and that's what I'm saying. Grand Matalik? Well, that's the thing is, like, they made it a very, uh, when they had Tuesday, had 205 Live, I watched it. And one of the reasons why I watched it is I wanted to find out what was going to happen between what happened after Raw. So, they got me. And I, I usually watch 205 Live, but a lot of times I don't watch it live. I'll watch it, like, the next day. But it started off with Enzo, and he basically established again to the roster that none of them can touch him now, and none of them can get a title match from him because they all, you know, screwed up that clause by hurting him on Monday night, including Neville. Neville was the first person to do it. So it seems to me they're saying someone's coming. 
Um, I would assume someone pretty big if they're going to do this. The fact – Ray's kind of speculation. Shane Helms has been kind of like in talks apparently, you know, kind of beating around the bush in interviews about him coming back to WWF. Ray hasn't anything official, but he wasn't in talks with WWE. It didn't work out. Then he was going to go to, uh, obviously, Global Force. He said, screw that. He does not want to go back to AAA, and he doesn't want to go back to Lucha Underground because of some bullshit that happened. So if he's trying to finish career, maybe something happened. Maybe originally he didn't want to go to 205 Live, but now the way that they're presenting it, maybe they think that Ray could basically do what Enzo did times 10, which I could see that. Um, you know, uh, But the whole concept is I just don't know – there's a lot of things that just don't make any sense. The fact that you, you, you demeaned your own brand several times down on Raw, saying that if Enzo didn't come here, blah, 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 you ended up on the doorstep of here because no one else would take you. Like, that type of shit just completely disintegrates the whole Cruiserweight division. Those guys are good wrestlers. I do like watching Tony Nese and Cedric Alexander do their thing, and it would suck without that whole entire format. Me and you have talked about trying to combine it, um, and put into a show or add more time to SmackDown and just kind of add, you know, just do something else uh, other than having 205 Live be completely separate because eventually we just think that Vince McMahon will probably say, eh, screw it, and just, you know, burn the whole building down and just walk away like nothing while he's whistling. Uh, I don't want that. Um, I'd like to see this keep on flourishing. And if we're not going to have it, you know, uh, as a part of, like, like I suggested last week, as kind of a half joke, but, like, if you just start a new program or give NXT more time or start, like I said, like a Nitro situation where you do another show, um, you know, uh, it you could you could mix the Cruiserweight division and have that be the second belt. A lot of people would like that to happen with the UK belt for NXT, and I think it makes a lot of sense too because it's already, you know, it's already on there a bunch. Shit, Neville would be great with the UK belt and performing against a lot of the guys from Progress Wrestling if WWE would actually – like, do something, but then again, the 205 Live product is not showing them reason enough to try something like their own UK league, so I don't know, man. I have no idea. It's, it's a very weird thing. Do you think that a year from now, 205 Live will even exist? Man, it just it doesn't seem like it with the way it's going. It's going to take a lot of trying to rework that thing into something that's watchable week to week. It's just so hard for me to even want to watch it on a week-to-week basic basis, um, to be completely honest, with how kind of where it's been and where, what they've done to it. Um, I, I don't see it being around. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but it just seems like they're going to start – some of these guys are going to want out of their contracts, and then they're probably going to release some of these people, and then are they going to want to rebuild that division at all, or are they just going to – kind of call it quits, which is, would be my thought of what they're actually, what's actually more than likely going to happen. Um, which is sad, but it's kind of where I see it going. I don't know. Where, where do you see it going? I mean, like, what do you, what do you think the end game for 205 Live is? I mean, do you, where do you see him even facing, you know? I don't know, man. Um, I'm, I'm very much like you. If, if they keep it exclusive, to the network, it's not going to last long. If they did something, like we've all combined said, uh, you know, uh, Thomas was the one that said, why don't you use the friggin' NXT arena to film your 205s live? You know, just, and, and actually put it on, like, a Hulu platform like they do with NXT. Um, I have no idea, man. 
I would like if it, if they don't inevitably do something with it to uh, therefore get who you want and still keep the title and keep it as a belt on one of the shows, or like I said, put it as a secondary belt, a, an official secondary belt on NXT. Because I, I know that Triple H has been apparently talking, he would like NXT to be its own entity instead of being like the stepping stone to get to the majors, which it's always going to be. Uh, but, you know, if they really want to glorify that concept, either the UK title or the, the Cruiserweight title could be a great secondary belt. Uh, I don't know. It, it's really weird to me that uh, maybe they've done this type of stuff in the past, but with Cedric Alexander, you know, Evolve made a big deal uh, on their Facebook page. I don't know if they did on their Twitter, but I'm assuming they did, that WWE is working with them and allowing Cedric to do some of their events. So are they letting some of these guys in the cruiserweight division that's underutilized, are they at least letting them go and do indie promotion, promotional shows? Or is that something that I, I'm just not aware of, Chris, that, that WWE's done before in the past, besides obviously with the UK guys in progress? Yeah, I mean, I did see that, and I saw that, uh, like, uh, it wasn't only Evolve that posted it, but also uh, WWE even posted about it saying, like, hey, he's going to be doing this, which I thought was kind of uh, a weird, neat thing, you know? Like, it's like, okay, well, it seems like they're definitely okay with this. Um, bringing in that kind of talent would be good, but they're still limited by their 205 weight limit, and, I, you know... I, I would have to look at the Evolve roster to see if there's any real big names that would push the meter or, you know, change where that show's kind of at at the moment. I think they're, they're just banking on the fact that if they make Enzo the top heel, that they'll be able to build up a baby face, you know, to face him. And, and I don't see anyone in that locker room that's not kind of tainted at this point or hasn't been, you know, part of two-minute blow-off matches with Brian Kendrick or, or Neville. Um that have kind of made them look ridiculous to the point where it's like, you know, hard to believe that they're really contenders. So it's just a weird situation they've kind of put themselves in. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how they, how they get out of it, to be completely honest. I think bringing in someone like Rey Mysterio Jr. would be great, but it's also a waste of Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, yeah. I mean, you could, you could put him in a match for the U.S. title against AJ Styles and book that on a pay-per-view. And I feel like you're going to get more out of that business-wise than you are having him be on 205 Live, like, put him against another big name, a match people would actually want to see, like, uh, maybe, like, a, uh, even, like, a Sami Zayn versus Rey Mysterio Jr., someone that can work a really good style against Rey Mysterio Jr., similar to, like, what Johnny Mundo has been able to do with Rey Mysterio Jr., because Rey Mysterio is older, and I think that's something you have to take into account, and putting him in a match against someone like Enzo is not really going to show off you know, who Rey Mysterio is and what, you know, what he's been able to accomplish. It seems, you know, your former champion being relegated to a show that most people don't watch is kind of a, you know, it, it's not a good thing for Rey Mysterio Jr. I don't know that he would even want to do that. But someone like Shane Helms, um, I could see him doing something like that. I don't see that he would have a problem with it. But for me, I, I feel like Rey Mysterio not only should he hold himself in a bit of a high, higher regard than 205 Live, but so should the WWE just for his legacy in general. No, I can agree with that sentiment. I mean, like I said, it all depends. And, I mean, we talked about this a long time ago. It depends on what Ray wants to do. I mean, like I said, we were in – he was in talks with both Global Force Wrestling and WWE, and WWE didn't work out, and we knew that he said no to Global Force as a result of what's happened to it recently. Um 
But with WWE, we don't know if it was because they were like, hey, we'd like to put you on 205 to elevate it and kind of build the talent over there and work with all of them. And he was like, well, fuck this. I would, like you're saying, basically, I'd rather be on Maine and start working with these guys that I've never gotten to work with, like, like, uh, like an AJ Styles, like a Sami Zayn. Um, that could have been the case. Um, we won't know, but if Rey Mysterio shows up on 205 Live, it's going to get a lot of buzz. If they allow him to be the cruiserweight, since they already do matches for the cruiserweight belt on Raw, and they do they film it on SmackDown right afterwards for 205 Live, if he's got the belt and he's allowed to still be a part of the program, even possibly do like a, uh, a um, call it champion versus champion match against AJ Styles, and they incorporate that, and also can, that, that can set in stone an openness with the 205, uh, you know, roster and allow them to have that results after Ray's gone. I mean, there are a lot of things that they could do. It's just me and you know they're probably not going to do any of that. So all you can sit and see is, is this wonderful purple ring and find out if it will be there within the next year, and I, I hope it is. I, I really like a lot of these guys wrestling, and it would be a waste. But anyways, we yeah, rambled on. I mean, about, I mean well, what what I would say with that is, it doesn't ha- that ring doesn't have to be there for those performers to be there. Like you can get rid of that yeah. show and still have those performers and put them on Raw and SmackDown or Raw or SmackDown. That's what and I'm you're saying. Just expanding, and you're just expanding your roster, and you have more matches to fill a three-hour time slot, and you don't have to rely on running the same matches over and over and over again. Um. Which we've been saying for a long time. I, I it's not that I don't I, I don't think that they're gonna get rid of cruiserweights altogether. I just think there's ways that they could work that so that it'll be a lot better for everyone involved. But you you are you are you are you are right in the regards that even if they all right, so they take the cruiserweight title itself and do something like I said, make it a secondary title or bring it over to another show, there's no way that whole roster's gonna stay. They're not gonna like wait around and hang out and wait for them to get a match once in a while to try to, like, go after the belt. That, that, that whole division will dwindle to, like, the five people that are really good to keep it up. And none of us want to see that. We'd rather see the whole entire division wrestle. Um, but we'll see. We'll keep on going and just truck on. You know what I'm saying? Just truck on, guys. Enzo Amore will save us. Uh, what do we got over here? What do we, what do we have over here is apparently – the next one in the mix for the Universal Championship against Brock Lesnar is none other than the demon himself, Finn Balor. Uh, stuff has gotten out. This is, this is a rumor, but it's from a pretty good source. So I'm just going to say that read into it. This is one of those times where they tell us the storyline ahead of time and it ends, ends up happening. I'm just gonna, it's probably going to happen. Um, unfortunately, with Finn Balor, his battles with Bray Wyatt still go on past the man versus man concept or the man versus demon or whatever the fuck Bray Wyatt is, uh, Chitulu or whatever, guy with dreads. Um, basically, Finn, after his whole entire thing with Bray, Brock will return for that pay-per-view and something will be set up in the mix for Finn Balor and Brock Lesnar, which inevitably, Chris, if Braun Strowman didn't get the title, if Samoa Joe didn't get the title, if they want to keep on going at this concept that Vince wants, where Mania is going to be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for the title, Finn Balor's probably not going to win the universe title. Is, is that a, a good calculation, or do you think I'm crazy for thinking that? 
I mean, uh, I feel like Samoa Joe and – I mean, I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like Samoa Joe and, and uh, Braun Strowman both get bigger reactions than Finn Balor at this point, unless Finn is in full demon costume. So the fact that they didn't get the title and the fact that it's already been said that this match for Mania has been set up for a long period of time would lead me to believe that they're not going to put the title on Finn um, unless they do some kind of angle where – Finn wins the title because of Roman Reigns or something of that nature, which is highly possible. I mean, it could be that, you know, Roman Reigns comes out, demolishes Brock Lesnar. Finn gets the win, and then they just move on from there, and then that sets up, you know, Brock Lesnar screwed Roman, or Roman screwed Brock Lesnar out of the title. So he wants he wants uh, Roman first or whatever, but usually those big matches involving Brock Lesnar, he wants the title on either whoever Brock is facing or on Brock Lesnar. And that's kind of been the the way it's been. Um, even going back to the Goldberg thing, where they basically just took the title off Kevin Owens for no reason. Um, you can see it either way. Um, I think they would want to, I think they do want to put the title back on Finn Balor at some point. It's just, they're in a weird spot because they have so many like monster type guys on, on Raw, and it also Finn Balor has been in a program with Bray Wyatt for two months now, and won a match, lost a match, and then won a match, or lost a match, won a match, and then I guess won the the rubber band match. But it's I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's beat the other people that were in the title race before him. So it's like, how do they book it up? How do they book him in a, a sense that seems like he actually deserves the title? I mean that's a really, right now, really good it seems point. Like you're, I mean it seems like your number one contender right now should be Roman Reigns. He's the only guy that's beat these people, and the only person who has, he hasn't beat out of all of those people is Samoa Joe, right? Because that's the whole thing. Is yep. Samoa Joe's like you've never beat me, so I, I don't unless Samoa Joe in a number one contenders match, or they do some kind of four way number one contenders match. Things that make it like seem like Finn is a big deal again. Because I feel like they took a lot of wind out from his sails for a while, having him go against uh, some mid-card talent type stuff, and then against, you know, Bray for the past two months. So, I don't know. Who's been a sinking ship? I don't blame that on – I don't blame that – I don't really blame that on Finn or the booking. I think the injury really hurt him. Um, oh, yeah. Of course. He had so much momentum. And then, like, you know, not only did the injury hurt him, but uh, just the simple fact that when he came back, they had established, you know, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, uh, Dean Ambrose was back. Um, you know, Braun Strowman had really caught fire. Brock Lesnar was champion again. Like, it, they kind of stacked the cards against him in a sense of he is the, he is one of the smallest guys in the heavyweight division. Like, he's actually smaller than some of the 205 Live people, so it's yeah. They have to make it believable. The demon's the only way they really make him believable, and I think that's why they've been trying to save that, save that gimmick as much as possible. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation that, that he's kind of in. Chris, do you think that, that he would fare uh, better over at SmackDown, or do you think that he should stay on Raw because that's where he's been? He was a first draft pick for Raw when they did the the first original thing, and you know there's a presence of the demon, but like you said. 
that gimmick can make them him as big as all the monsters that he fights with? Or do you think, honestly, he should probably go to SmackDown and have great matches with AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura? I would honestly switch him and AJ Styles roster-wise because AJ Styles is viable enough and believable enough that he can kind of go against anyone. And I don't really feel the same way about I like that. Uh, Finn Balor. And I, it's not anything negative against Finn Balor. I just, you know, the way that Raw has always been is like, here's some massive fucking dudes, and then you see Finn Balor like close to these guys, and you're like, man. And I hate, I hate for it to be a size thing, but like if you look at people like Sami Zayn or even the biggest person on SmackDown, like Baron yeah. Corbin, and it's still believable that Finn Balor could be, you know, win a match against them. But absolutely, you know, even when he was going against Samoa Joe in NXT, it was kind of like, dude, Samoa Joe is gonna kill this guy. That's not just a chance. But the balancer is the demon And the fact that they don't play that up enough Or make it as big of a deal as it should be um, Kind of breaks his equalizer So they've really got to play that up They're going to have him win a title against Brock Lesnar Or people will just feel like they got pandered to Well, and not only that But I feel like with Finn Balor Um one of the things that kind of holds him back is you would think, honestly, if you didn't watch any of his, like someone suggested this, um, one of the shows that I, one of the podcasts I listened to for wrestling, I think it was going in raw. Free shout out for you guys. Anyways, um, uh, they were talking about how like Finn actually can cut a really good promo. And one thing I've always said about Finn Balor from my personal view you know, I am the big sting mark, and, I, and I've admitted to you many times that one of the flares of Finn Balor is that there's certain qualities that remind me of Sting within Finn Balor. They're very different, obviously, wrestler-wise and size-wise, but certain qualities. One of the things I said that, you know, he's too calm to be like that type of Sting intensity. Then I cut and see his promos in Japan that he was unrehearsed, not reading, obviously, from lines, and he, his intensity is out there. Obviously, he's a heel in it because he's the leader of the Bullet Club. But he's all over the place, much more frantic and crazy. And I'm like, holy shit. I would have completely thought differently if I saw these because I think that they really pinch him a lot with those with who he's going against and the written promos. I think he's someone that's not like The Miz and Dean Ambrose a lot of times that are like, yeah, give me the bullet points. I think that Finn Balor just listens to the people in the back and I think that's actually kind of hurting him. Um, the whole Bray Wyatt thing does not help out either. I'm just hoping that they don't I, – I hope he doesn't get squashed by Brock Lesnar because, honestly, the way they handled Samoa Joe and uh, Braun Strowman at the end of the matches, both were kind of unfair and ridiculous. Just one at five, are you serious? So, in theory, if he's going against Finn Balor, Finn should get destroyed really fucking quickly and probably decimated by him, even if he has a stu- you know the, the makeup on. So – that's my that's my big worries about having him. But hey, if I get Finn Balor back in the title run, I'm a big fan of his. I like to see him progress. I just think personally, like you said, I would love a trade between him and AJ. It would give AJ back with the club to maybe set up that again. And also, you're right, he's a good size for that. And I'd love to see him with the Intercontinental Belt. I don't know if he's gotten it or not. But he might have had, but you know. I, and Finn would obviously fare well against some of the guys that size too. Who knows? Uh, do you have any closing statements before we move on to the next topic? I mean, I would, I would just absolutely love if they did a trade either for AJ or Kevin Owens to go against someone like Brock Lesnar. I feel like Kevin Owens is also viable because Kevin Owens can be a shit bag. Absolutely. 
that that we'll cheat. But he's like one of the only heels. He'll be he'll be one of the first people to actually cheat to try to beat Brock Lesnar, and it would be perfectly acceptable because Kevin Owens is a complete scumbag. He headbutted seventy five year old Vince McMahon. Like with his character, that is someone that is a viable opponent. Or Brock Lesnar because he's not going to fight Brock Lesnar. He's not going to go into the ring and try to fight Brock Lesnar like everyone else has. He's going to fucking cheat. And that's kind of who you need. That's the kind of person you need to beat Brock Lesnar. Um, the problem with making a beast monster like Brock Lesnar, who's not really a good guy or a bad guy, and then having people just fight him, is when those big guys like Braun Strowman get beaten you look at the rest of the roster and you go, okay, well, the only person they have that they've even booked to the point they could even come close to beating him is Roman Reigns. So that's kind of the problem is unless you have someone that's just like a complete, utter shitbag that's going to cheat and do whatever he can to win the match, someone like a Miz um, or, uh, or like a Kevin Owens, it's not believable that anyone's going to be able to beat him. That's the other problem with booking Brock Lesnar the way you booked him is, and I mean, yes, it makes for a surprise if Brock Lesnar loses, but like the suspension of disbelief is not there if like Finn Balor beats him even in the demon paint for me because he just destroyed, you know, and Braun literally put him through four tables and buried him. So it's like, you know, like Kevin Owens, like hitting him with a stun gun or a pair of brass knuckles or just some shitty way to win. Oh, Rebecca stun gun. Just anything, just complete shitty old school wrestling. Brass Knuckles is perfect. Just lays him the fuck out, pins him, gets the win. I feel like that gives you a bullshit way out of this. And then you can have someone like Braun Strowman destroy Brock Lesnar, and then Brock Lesnar can go away because he's injured or whatever. And then they come back and you build like a four-way match or whatever. But like as far as getting the title off Brock Lesnar, they've booked themselves into a corner where now there is only the guy which is Roman Reigns, which also sucks for Roman Reigns because people aren't going to want to see him win that the title that way. Um, so it's just a shitty situation well, in general. We'll talk about that because I feel maybe it was just one crowd. or I don't know. He, even at No Mercy, I, I really think that Roman Reigns is starting to get a better reception from the fans. He definitely was on Raw, but who knows? Uh wh- We'll just have to come back to this. I mean, this is going to keep you on going. Hopefully what happens is they go and get a megastar like The Rock or, or Batista to come back, and they go against Brock Lesnar because they don't want to use their own talent. Wouldn't that be great? Anyways, all right, here's something that Chris did not want to see happen, but I've been saying for a while should happen because I wasn't around for the first time. Shield reunion in the works? Okay, so what they kind of laid out is that we're going to get the Miz-Tourage versus the Shield. Um, I don't know if that's the smartest idea if you're going to bring back that type of concept uh, after like what three or four years since it's been like that uh, to put them against a team that that you know looks like they would get their ass kicked unless something happens in which maybe the Miz has to use Sheamus and Cesaro I don't really know I wanted this Chris I wanted to see them get back together but my concept for it was to see all three of them as dominant heels but in a different way where they've taking their respective titles, and they want to rule, basically. Uh, this is, seems like it's going to be a cash grab to see these three guys get together for one match, and they're going to decimate the Miseraj, and it's going to be completely pointless. Um, I kind of would like a heel turn, but I don't see that happening either. So do you feel like this is going to be completely useless uh, in the storylines going forward? 
honestly, I, I feel like it's a bad idea for, for the simple fact that I feel like you just put Roman Reigns over John Cena. I don't feel like he needs the shield at all. Um, and also, it shouldn't be a fact that they, like, they've been beating, like, Miz Taraj ass. Like, haven't they already beat the Miz Taraj, like, a couple of times on Raw already? I think the two of them, like, it, it, did, didn't Seth and Dean take on the Miz Taraj and beat him in one night? Yeah, like, they beat the them already, like, by their cell. Like, the only way you make that believable is if you add someone to the Miz Taraj that's, like, uh, kind of a badass. I, and speaking of Miz Taraj, I'm really sad that Maurice is, uh, well, I'm happy that they're they're pregos or whatever, so good for the Miz, and hopefully all that stuff goes well. But I am really sad that she's not there anymore because I really love Maurice. She had like a such a level of uh, of ways to cheat for that team that kind of fell by the wayside. Because even if they kick out the rest of the Miz Maurice was able to do other heelist type shit, which was kind of great. So I'm gonna miss her, but uh, congratulations, I guess. But I, yeah, I don't like they don't need fucking Roman Reigns. To me, it's like it's Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, both former champions. They don't need Roman Reigns to beat two jobbers in the mid. Like I, I feel like in the concept of it, if they're trying to build Roman Reigns' top baby face still, and they think that they have a spark right now after this John Cena thing, that maybe the only reason they're doing it is to bring more baby face steam to Roman Reigns from his old, you know, uh, buddies. Uh, so I don't think it's about the tag team champions needing Roman. I think it's Roman needing them uh, in order to put him more over is what I would assume. I don't know. I mean, I get that they're, they could be trying to get that rub, but it's also going to work opposite for it, – it could work exactly opposite for Seth and Dean. Like, Very true. It could go the exact opposite way because they're like, oh, they had to call Roman Reigns to beat the fucking Miztourage. Really? See, that's the problem with that. Now, like, if you tell me that Miz hires Samoa Joe when Samoa Joe comes back as, like, a bodyguard for the Miztourage or, like, a personal hitman, or you do something like that where it's more viable of, like, why they would need Roman Reigns, then that would make sense. They're not going to do that. But, like, no, it would it would make way more sense if you have, like, a destroyer-type person or, like, you know, Miz somehow pays, like, Braun to protect him or something. Like, Miz is supposed to be a shitty person anyway, so, like, if he has, like, eight bodyguards that the Shield get beat up by on a weekly basis, then then it makes sense to be like, okay, Roman, buddy, we need your help. Um, but, like, you know, the Miz Taraj, like, didn't Jason Jordan suplex the fuck out of, didn't Jason Jordan just suplex the fuck out of all of them? Like, yeah, he lost, but, like, he kind of whooped his yeah. Taraj's ass by himself. So, like, for Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose to need Roman Reigns' help, he kind of looks like a little bitch. Like, I mean, not Roman, but, like, Seth and Dean would look like yeah. little bitches as far as a booking standpoint goes. And that's, I mean, that's how the fans that's what take I'm it. Saying. They're like, okay, you're just giving us a nostalgia thing. And... Well, the thing that's weird about it is I, I, I feel bad for Bo Dallas and fucking uh, Curtis Axel. I know they technically put themselves there, but they're both really good in ring hands, and they're both sons of legends, uh, you know, I would – Put a little, I would put uh, Kurt Angle a little bit over Mike Rotundo, but Mike Rotundo was still a good uh, in-ring hand. But um, they don't. They, you're right. They don't look believable against the tag champions Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. And Roman Reigns looks like he could fucking take the Miz and use him as a toothpick. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the Miz, his best trait is being one of the best heels, especially on the mic, and 
holding the Intercontinental title for no one else to have to get. I I don't know. So it just doesn't seem like a stacked. There's got to be more in the mix. If they try to put it us like this, like it's, it's Shield versus the Mistrage, that seems dumb. But if they give you, like you said, like he, he hires Samoa Joe and someone else, or that could add layers that I like, that I would like to see. But uh, all right, let's move on. Um, so we got a – apparently the WWE is thinking about doing a women's Royal Rumble, uh, par- uh, possibly for this Royal Rumble coming up in 2018. Um, I'm assuming that it would be right before the, the actual Royal Rumble uh, that they normally have and, and signify a first time for a women's one, which would be awesome to me. You don't need that ma- many matches at the Royal Rumble. Just do a couple of titles. Um, and maybe one big main event afterwards if you want to. But you can literally just do the women's one and the men's one back-to-back, and that would be great to me. Royal Rumbles are spectacles. They're extremely long. But with this one, you know, now that it's happening, they're going to have to utilize a lot of their talent. So you're going to see probably – you're going to see some – you might see a Lunder Blaze come out just for one little spot, you know, like they do normally. Uh, You'll probably see everyone from the Mae Young Classic that's still associated with WWE – uh, even uh, Jazzy, what, what's her last name? I forgot. The German, the big German lady uh, who went, was very over by the crowd during it. But also your NXT females, your SmackDown, your Raw. I'm completely down for it. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, and they could have, this is, especially this one in general, maybe Ronda Rousey comes out and helps her friend Shayna Baszler after they have their Survivor Series match against the four women. And maybe this sets up more emotion, the Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey thing. Who knows? Uh, anything can happen. Chris, what do you think about when I say Women's Royal Rumble? Well, we talked about it a bit last week. Um, I think it's a really cool idea, and I like um, – I don't want them to do, like, okay, it's going to be, like, a, a 10 women royal – like, battle royal. Like, if you're going to do it, make it the same amount of people or as close to the same amount of people as the men have and uh, go all out with it. Like you said, bring back some legends. Maybe, like, someone like Trish Stratus would want to do, like, a one-off appearance or, uh, uh, you know, make sure Mickey James is in there, maybe Ivory. Um, try to get some of those legends back. And, and, you know, like, they don't have to do a lot, but you get them in there and just, just a fun pop presence, you know. Oh, cool, this person's Molly here. Holly. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, also just make sure that, like, uh, you're doing it for a reason. Make sure whoever's winning the thing is someone that deserves to win it. Um, maybe like, you know, like a, a like Bailey winning it, like first in, first out would make a lot of sense. Or Becky Lynch. I feel like both of those two girls could really use that. Um, you know, or, or like Oscar goes in and dominates everyone or something. Like make sure that, it, where, you know, whatever the outcome is, that it actually means something going forward. Um, don't just like give it to Sasha or Charlotte. I feel like that you know that they don't really need that kind of win. But I feel like putting it on someone like Bailey um, or Becky Lynch or even you know like Oscar or someone, um, and then pull up some of the NXT females like you said, and definitely some of the uh, the people from the May Young tournament because then it's just a one-off appearance for Royal Rumble. You don't have to lock them into a contract, and you can kind of go from there as far as what you want to do. And I think overall it's a really cool thing for women's wrestling. There's never been a, as far as I know. Um, there's never been a female Royal Rumble before. And I think it shows, you know, the strides that WWE, probably more so just Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, have tried to make with women's wrestling in general, uh, moving away from the idea of the diva 
and the Diva title and, and what they've done just in such a short period of time. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was the Divas championship. Like when Charlotte won her first championship, she was the Divas champion. So, you know, to see the leaps and bounds that they've made for women's wrestling, and it's not like that they're the first company to ever do it. Like there's been great women's wrestling um, all over the world. It's just for WWE, the leaps and bounds in the public eye, and, and for the normal rest, like the, I would say the average American wrestling fan, um, I think it means a lot, and I think it's really cool, and it's a great idea, and I hope that they just execute it well. That's my only, uh, the only thing that, you know, that I even have any worry about whatsoever is just where they go with it, whoever wins it, um, but the idea itself is awesome, and I don't know yeah, anyone that wouldn't want to see that, like, 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 say it knocks off one other match off the show, it's going to have to be one hell of a good match for me to care more about it than, like, a really cool women's Royal Rumble. Like, the whole the whole Royal Rumble of, like, who's going to come out next, that's, like, part of the best part of the Royal Rumble. So, um, yeah, I have no problem with it at all. I think it's very cool. I mean, you could probably do a women's Royal Rumble in a shorter time period than the, the men's Royal Rumble. <sighs> but I, I feel like it's an awesome idea. Because men need too much time, jerks. No, but um, seriously, I completely agree with you. And I, you, there's certain things that happen in the Royal Rumble that you can't see normally anywhere. You know, if, if you had it where even if she gets eliminated shortly after, you do have, like I said, Ronda Rousey coming out, and she screws over Charlotte from winning it or something like that and gets taken out by whoever. Or you have Shayna Baszler come out, and then they have uh, Jay-Z Gabert come out and take on her. Or, or you get to see... Uh, you know, Keddy Sane go against Oscar. Uh, there's there's so many things that they can throw in a Women's Royal Rumble, along with Legends doing like a little one-off. That could be a lot of fun. So yeah, whoever doesn't want it, they can go fuck themselves. Because we need to get over this concept of of men's wrestling and women's wrestling. It just should be wrestling. I, I I completely agree with that concept and that mentality. And the girls are doing just as good a job, if not better, than the guys. So. Let's let's take it up to this level. It'll be a lot of fun to watch, and uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. But um, all right, so let's let's go into some bad news uh, in our last uh, couple stories. Jeff Hardy uh, gets bad news concerning his shoulder injury. Uh, he completely just ripped apart his rotator cuff. He's gonna be out. He needs surgery for it. Could be out for like I think five to six months. Um, he's definitely out for the rest of this year. Uh, just it sucks because. Apparently, from what a lot of people have said, uh, Vince still thinks that Jeff himself, there's a lot to do with him in the main title scene, and this is definitely going to hold him back. He, he, he was interviewed about it, and he basically just said that like the main, main thing that sucks is when he sees angles on TV, and he's like, damn, I could be a part of that right now. Um, I, well, I'll first ask you this, Jeff. Or, you're not Jeff. You're Christopher. How do you feel, or how did you feel about the news about Jeff Hardy, Chris? It's disheartening. Um, it felt like they were kind of moving away from them being a tag team to begin with. Uh, not where they were going to break up or anything, but definitely looking like they were going to start trying to transition Jeff to the main event scene, especially now that you know the Hardys don't have the titles. Um, the nostalgia pop's not as high as it was when they came back for WrestleMania. So it felt like if they were going to do it, now would be the time. Um, from another standpoint, it gives Matt Hardy an opportunity to stand out if they actually use Absolutely. Um, so if they want to go the route of the broken Matt Hardy, which I assume that you can buy that pretty cheap from GFW right now since they're about to 
sell their company and go out of business or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, like now would be the time uh, because there's no reason why he wouldn't kind of go back crazy. Like not having a tag team partner is an easy way to make that happen. Like he doesn't know what to do without his brother, and he's like, oh, okay. And he just starts going down that path. Or he has a chance to at least do something unique with his gimmick. And you can put him against someone like The Miz, and that could be very entertaining, The Miz Raj. Um, because, like, right now, having him just work with Jason Jordan, it's like Matt Hardy's not going to be enough to get Jason Jordan. When they announced that no. like, Matt Hardy, like, J- J- like Matt Hardy's tag team partner was going to be Jason Jordan, the fans booed. And it's like they're not booing yeah. at Matt Hardy, bro. So it's <laughs> – it's like, um, I hope they're not going down that route of like, hey, we're just going to make them a tag team with Matt Hardy. Because, like, that sounds fucking awful. Like, Matt Hardy's ring style is nowhere near, like, what Jason Jordan's is at this point in Matt Hardy's career. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think fans would want to see that at all. Uh, unless it involves, like, Matt Hardy turning heel or something. And turning on Jason Jordan. But it's like... I, I don't know, man. That's just they need to get him as far away from Jason Jordan as possible. I feel like there's other cool things you can do with Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy that uh more involves changing their gimmick up and kind of getting them back to where they were before they came to WWE. Uh but yeah, I don't know. It sucks for Jeff. If they, if they were really looking at like, "Hey, we're going to start giving you a, a push here um as a singles competitor." But then that, you know, that also, from that standpoint, that sucks for Matt Hardy because I feel like Matt Hardy was, had really hit his stride and then he kind of got to WWE and they, not only are the tag, the tag team of Matt and Jeff Hardy not in the same spot that they were when they were on the indie scene, but also now it's like Matt doesn't even have his own gimmick to fall back on. Jeff's not there, who's the charismatic person of the Hardy Boys. And unless they let Matt kind of do his character, I don't know that he's kind of just going to be there getting paid and not doing anything, which sucks. Well, the thing about it is uh, the day that they announced it, uh, that his brother was going to be out, he tweeted it and said, and he keeps on going with this on Twitter, is that I feel woke. <laughs> he's going for woke and like the, this, this, these unsettling words has like he's doing the whole entire thing just like the whole text. This is not his Twitter though, obviously, so it's it's different than happening on WWE. But he has been kind of doing that and implementing it more. So maybe he's trying to steer it and do the Woken Hardy or whatever, or this screws up his whole vision. I don't know, but he hasn't he hasn't broken that character in a while. I say go full swing into it. If you don't want to try to get the rights for Broken, do what you're doing and get around it you know, where you can freaking just get away with it. Um, put Matt in, I think that if you put Matt in a, uh, because they're both on the same program, they're both, you know, I, I think one could really use someone to help him out, build him again. People were wanting a fantasy match between Matt Hardy, Broken Matt Hardy, and Bray Wyatt. Very, very long time. I think Bray could use someone like Matt Hardy to elevate him, and Matt Hardy, this could be a way to really make him the broken Matt Hardy that we want to see within the storyline. They can work with each other and just be a solo thing. I'm telling you, if you keep him with Jason Jordan as a tag team, this is not like Shelton Benjamin. where That works because of their style, like, like you said, Chris. But if you try to like keep Jason Jordan with Matt Hardy, it's not going to work out, and Matt Hardy is going to be, get completely unnoticed. Um, I think that if you put him in a program with Bray, 
it, it could utilize both of them and kind of bring some more of the supernatural, weird, ridiculous elements that Broken Matt Hardy gives. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel it's the same exact way. All right, let's go to our next thing. Um, Rob Van Dam, uh, apparently, well, what happened was he was called out in an interview about meeting up with WWE. He told the interviewer basically that it was actually, he was meeting up about uh, the video game coming out. Um, And he had to do some stuff for them, um, some last minute stuff. I have no idea if that was something involved with his character in the game or, or maybe it was voiceover stuff. I have no clue. But he just basically laid it out there that him and WWE are on good terms, and if he wants to come back, that that he was basically going at it in about a roundabout way, very similar to like Shane Helms when he was interviewed and talked to uh, about it. But even more more direct, I, I really feel like uh, Rob Van Dam could have a return. The only thing is that I looked, and he had a return a couple of years back when I wasn't watching. It didn't look like it did anything for him. I love Rob Van Dam. I think he's a great in-ring wrestler. I think it's so funny that he plays a stupid stoner, but is actually this very well-educated dude in real life. Um, do you think that they're gonna, they might uh, use Rob Van Dam, or do you think that he would get thrown in the the, uh, the mix and they would ha- not have anything for him to do if they really took him back onto the main roster, Chris? Uh, I think it depends. I mean, it, it depends on if they're going to put him on NXT. If they put him on NXT, I feel like there's more that they could do with him. Uh, I don't know that, like, you know, if they put him... I don't know, like, Raw is just such a weird place. I feel like the only place you can really put someone like Rob Van Dam right now is NXT or SmackDown, just because Raw, like I said, it's so top-heavy, and they don't really do anything to establish their mid-card other than, like, hey, it's The Miz, and whoever The Miz is facing this week (laughs) until he breaks Honky Tonk Man streak. And then, like, everything else just doesn't matter on Raw. So it's like, uh, I don't know, if they're doing, like, a one-off with him or something, uh, it would have made more sense if they were going to do like Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy or something crazy, like some kind of crazy ladder match. Yeah. Um, but you know, like who who do you even have Rob Rob Van Dam face? Like, what's a good matchup for him? Like, I SmackDown, AJ I see Styles. a lot more like Sam, Sami Zayn, AJ Styles. Like, that's the thing is like all of the those type of wrestlers that like he would really have a good match with are on SmackDown or NXT, and then like. Um, Raw is very much more the WWE style, uh, like yep. slower, more methodical pacing in the ring. Uh, the mat, like as far as building drama in the matches, it's finisher kickouts. Uh, I guess like someone like Seth Rollins, but he's kind of locked into this Shield thing right now. Same thing with Dean Ambrose. So it's like I don't even know how you would get him to work with on Raw. So if you brought him to NXT or SmackDown, I think it would be fun for the fans. Um, but, it, I mean, if they were meeting about anything wrestling, it could have just been something like Royal Rumble. Like, hey, make a one-off Royal Rumble. Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, I, I think it would be cool to see Rob Van Dam in the Royal Rumble. But, like, I don't – like I said, I don't know who you'd have him work a program against. Um, and last time he came in, they yeah, didn't really yeah, do anything down. with him. Yeah, I mean, like, they didn't really do anything with him last time he came in. He, he had a couple matches, and he got, like, a nostalgia pop for some fans. But – I mean, it's similar to the way that they treated the Dudley boys, you know? It's like he came in, he got a nostalgia yeah. pop, they gave him a couple wins, and then once, like, fans had kind of simmered down on it, it was, it was kind of over. Like, I think it's, I think the thing that people need to realize is, like, 
You know, like Rob Van Dam's height of popularity was early 2000s and probably like even before that was like the late 90s in ECW when he had the television title, uh, the longest reign of the television title. Um, a lot of those fans have like either stopped wrestling or are the diehard fans, but that doesn't make up the majority of WWE's crowd at this point. So it's like, yeah, he'll get like the big occasion, like the big pop at the pay-per-view wherever he comes out first. Um, but it's really hard to keep that up, especially if that person yep. is not getting wins or not, you know, establishing that character in a new way. Um, it's a little bit different with the Hardys because Jeff Hardy has so much natural charisma and was a multiple-time world champion and went on to even TNA and was a champion. Like he's always been relevant. And the Hardy boys were so relevant in that year when they came back that the Hardys were kind of a different story. But when you look back at like uh, when they've done this in the past with, with the Dudleys more recently and with Rob Van Dam, it's just kind of like, okay, cool. Yay. We're really excited to see these guys. We know. And then it just falls off. Um, so then you're going to do it like, them. yeah. And then you just feel like, even a, like as a diehard fan, you feel kind of bad. Um, but like, you know, Seeing him go against someone like Sami Zayn would be really cool. Uh, I put Sami Zayn in, like, fucking every match just because he's such a good worker. But Absolutely. Jesus Christ. But tonight I've been talking about Sami Zayn a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. He's a good worker. Like, you know, he's a badass in the ring. I, I, would de- I definitely agree with you. If you're going to send him anywhere, send him to SmackDown, he could have a hell of a lot. I feel like Rob Van Dam knows that what his career has – you know, the, the, the uh, heights of it, if you will, title-wise. I don't know if they put him in the main title realm. I think that he would be doing this to work with some of the guys that he hasn't got a chance to like an AJ Styles or Sami Zayn just because he's a wrestler. Um, but who knows? We'll find out in the future with that whole entire thing. I did realize that when you were saying about how Raw's more top-heavy and then SmackDown's more or more older, old-school, muscular, big-guy-built type of thing, and you have SmackDown's more the high-flyer, Finn Balor traded for Jinder Mahal. I think all of us win. All right, anyways, because there's no way Jinder's going to get up in the fucking things with all those guys there. Let's go to our last topic before we go over some stuff. Uh, Hulk Hogan's dream match would likely kill him. So Hulk Hogan was doing an interview. I think he was partially joking. He's been putting over Braun just as much as uh, Braun Strowman, just as much as as, uh, Stone Cold and a lot of the other guys. They really like him. There's a good reason for it. He's a good for his size. He's very precise. He's very good in the ring. He's a little bit cartoony, but his he's so scary looking that he's believable. And in real life, he's a nice guy, and he's got a great you know body. And I always make this joke, but I mean, he's got the Hulk Hogan size mixed with the Stone Cold attitude. So of course, Hogan just he likes him. He sees a star in him, and he was just saying that he'd love to come back for a one-off match where basically. You know, it would be Braun Strowman beating the shit out of him, him hulking up once, and then I think he was insinuating like he would definitely put Braun over, but he's scared that it would kill him. Yeah, it probably would, Hulk Hogan. You're 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 pretty old man. You know, I wouldn't want to see you get hurt, and there would be really no point for Braun to do it unless if if it was like a if you came back for WrestleMania, say, and now this is you and WWE patching shit up, and Braun came out and completely wrecked over you. You had like a little bit of a comeback, but he just destroyed you. I think that's the only way that that could happen. Either way, it's cool that Hulk Hogan likes Braun Strowman and sees potential in him like a lot of us do. 
how did you like that? Did you think it was it was funny that he said that, Chris? I think it was funny. Um, I, you know, it's part of the way the question was posed. Like, I, I feel like at this point, you don't want to insult Hulk Hogan, but be like, who in the WWE right now would you love <laughs> to have faced in, in your prime? Would be a better way to word that question. Because now it just looks like like Hulk Hogan, what Hulk Hogan meant, it meant more than likely was like, oh, you mean like old school Hulkster, like drop the leg brother type thing? Uh, and to me, yeah. that is the perfect matchup. Like him versus Braun, like, like 1988 Hulk Hogan versus now Braun Strowman would be fucking awesome. Like I'd be sold. I'd be like, man, yeah. that's going to be awesome. But yeah, like I, I, I think that the question, they just pose some of those questions so weird to some of these old timers. It's like, who would you like to go against right now? And it's like, or, like, Hulk Hogan doesn't want to go against anyone right now. <laughs> like, last time he went, uh, had a match, he, like, uh, hurt his hip really bad and had to have surgery. Like, I, Hulk Hogan kind of knows where his career's at at this point. I feel like uh, he's probably not against, like, putting him over in a sense of, like, Braun giving him, like, a one power slam or something. But I, I when you ask someone like that, like, who do you want to have a match with, um, I feel like there's better ways to word it. It's kind of just more of a pet peeve with the way uh, – some of these old timer wrestling interviews go in general. Um, like, you know, like there, there's obviously exceptions where it's like Shawn Michaels and AJ Styles just because people are like, see, they see Shawn Michaels and they're like, Oh, Shawn Michaels can still go obviously. Um, but like Hulk Hogan's like older than Shawn Michaels. He's had a lot more injuries uh, recently. They wrestled longer than him. So his body's, you know, more broken down. Um, so it's just kind of a weird question to pose. Like it's more like if you were in your absolute prime and in the WWE today, who would you see yourself having a match with? I think is a better way to pose that question. So yeah, I did think it was funny seeing like thinking of like almost 70 year old Hulk Hogan getting his ass beat by Braun Strowman. Like to me, that's pretty hilarious. But also I think like to me, I feel like he kind of just meant it uh, like not how it came off. I feel like he was just like, yeah, like in my prime, brother, I'd totally take on Braun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it's not like it's weird for WWE to beat up 70-plus-year-old guys in the ring from their younger wrestlers. I mean, that just happened. But, um, no, I know exactly what you're saying. So, Chris, let me ask you, who would win? Hulkster in his prime, like 1989 uh, Hulkster, or the monster among men, I guess I would have to go with Hulk Hogan based on what just happened with Brock Lesnar. But if you were talking to me a couple of weeks ago, I personally would probably say Braun Strowman has a good chance of uh, taking him. But what do you think? Man, Hogan's dropping the leg, dude. And he's going to sell the <laughs> entire match. He's going to take like so much of an ass whipping that he's going to hit a big boot, leg drop, and get the win. But he's going to sell like right. a motherfucker. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, that's it's just so going to be, he's just going to be like, He's just going to be like, you ever seen the Andre WrestleMania match, brother? <laughs> uh, funny right. thing is, Braun was asked what his dream match was, and it wasn't Hulk Hogan. It was actually Andre the Giant, which would be – if Andre was in the 70s, I think it would be a hell of a lot better for Andre because, once again, old age, all that type of shit happens. What about – what about um, this one just popped in my head. Bruno San Martino in his prime versus John Cena. Uh, I mean, that would be – That'd be fucking great. It'd be a weird match just because the ring styles would be so weird, but I feel like John Cena could adapt to it. Um, and make it work, like man. A It'd be a lot of fun. Does a lot of headlocks and, you know, stretches and shit, but... 
Yeah. Yeah, but like if he just went in, like I'm sure if Bruno, like Bruno saw today's style and he's like, okay, so part of this is we're just gonna throw punches and clotheslines. Like I feel like Bruno would figure it out. So I feel like he'd still yeah. have a pretty good match. Um, but yeah, like Bruno San Martino's style in general for like modern wrestling fans could be a little hard for uh, some people to go back to. You know what I mean? Like or to see. Uh, oh, absolutely. To try to to try to say like oh like who would like John Cena would like to me the perfect person for like a, a dream match for me if you want to do something with Bruno San Martino would be uh, someone like Kurt Angle where they can actually get in oh. and, and do some like amateur type wrestling stuff and then you have just Kurt's ability to kind of work well with anyone in the ring. Um, oh like that yeah, man. Or like an old timer to go against John Cena like Bob Backlund. Because Bob Backlund's style I was about to say Bob Backlund versus uh, Kurt Angle, but yeah, Bob Backlund and John Cena would be a great fucking match. Oh God, this is what happens. We need to we need to do more if it's not just for us, you know, some more fantasy <laughs> booking because it's fun to talk about this type of shit. I mean, we've watched so much wrestling; everyone gets compared to everyone. That's just how it works. Um, as long as you're not a dick about it, like most people, like. If, 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 when they're interviewed, if they're saying, hey, you remind me of blah, 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 they're like, thanks, I really appreciate that. That's a huge honor. Or if it's an older guy, you know, if someone sees a comparison to them, they usually take that as a compliment. Some people are dicks about it, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's how the world is. Let's go over a little bit of uh, New Japan Ring of Honor stuff. Uh, did you get a chance to watch uh, Destruction Hiroshima or Destruction uh, Kobe, Chris? I did, I did not. I, caught the, uh, I watched the highlights, but I did not watch the full event. So I can talk about it at a high level, but... Well, let's just talk about Tanahashi. He defeated Zack Sabre Jr. It was a great match, which was expected. Zack Sabre Jr. did a lot of stretching. This guy is a fucking maniac. Like, he really does remind me of Dean Malenko, but I think that he might be even... Like, he has that British way of doing the technical stuff with, like, going to, through the, the hand and making like them bend like a pretzel. Very painful stuff. Uh, I think it was a high five below to the outside, and then uh, another one to the inside. Tanahashi got the win. Um, so you got at least probably a, a chance to see some of the details in this. Uh, are you glad that Tanahashi did not drop the belt to Zat Sabre Jr., or did you want to see that? In all honesty, I kind of wanted to see him drop the belt to Zack Sabre Jr. I think Zack Sabre Jr. has done a lot in New Japan recently and deserves kind of a title run. Um, from that standpoint, but also the main reason I wanted to see him drop the belt is like Tanahashi has been needing like arm surgery for what seems like eight months now, and he has not taken any time off. So I'm just worried that he's going to get seriously hurt. <sighs> so that was the main reason I thought like maybe this would be the time where he actually dropped the belt and, and did. But it was I did see those the the high fly flow to the outside is still insane to me. The fact that he's still doing that. Um, and then also Zack Sabre Jr. Um, I agree with you on that. Like, there's something about the way some of that British wrestling, some of those stretches in British wrestling look. Uh, another example is like so painful some yeah. of the intent they put on those moves, and it's just the way they sell their face for the most part. Um, just looks awesome. So uh, I, I caught the highlights of that match, and I, from what it looked like, it was a really good match. And I still need to go back and watch it, but I haven't, I haven't gotten to it yet. Great show. Uh, definitely the main events were the big ones. A lot of the tag team stuff, it's fun, especially when it's a tag team match. Like, they had one, I believe it was one at Hiroshima, where it was 
It was Chaos versus um, Los uh, Cinco de whatever the hell. Um, uh, and you got to see Evil at the end of it. He's not pinning Okada. Okada's not even the, the right man. Uh, I forgot. I think it was Bushi was doing the pin. But he had his foot on Okada while the pin was going one, two, three. So that visual was very, very cool because they're going to be going against each other soon. So stuff like that is great. But, like, a lot of the tag teams is just kind of boring, especially when I hate to say this. I love a lot of the older guys. But, you know, I mean, they can do a lot for their age. But it just – the main matches that they had, especially – that last one with Zack Sabre Jr. and the one I'm about to talk about at uh, Destruction and Kobe are are the reason that you watch the thing because they're awesome. They're 30-plus minutes, and they're just a ridiculous match. In uh, Destruction and Kobe, Kenny Omega, it was for the – went against Juice Robinson for the U.S. title, and Kenny Omega won. Uh, it was a badass match. Uh, Kenny was favoring his – much like the, uh, you know, the storyline with the Zack Sabre Jr. Tanahashi match – over the bicep, Kenny's knee was the main focus. At first, Juice was actually going to do something in the match where he looked like he was going to go after the knee, but like a gentleman realized that it was injured and didn't do that. Well, later on, he was getting his ass kicked, so then he started going after the knee. I mean, the match was awesome all over the place. You know, Kenny's amazing at selling, and, I, and I'm pretty sure this knee is messed up, so it's not like, you know, he, he took a little break and came back, but that's, that's wrestlers and how amazing their ability in ring is. Uh, he still did the jump outside where he does the flip. I forgot what it's called. I'll just call it the flipperoo, whatever, you know, with this hurt knee, selling it the whole entire time. And uh, probably the best spot at the end, uh, you know, uh, he already got the Pulp Fiction, um, but Juice only got uh, two count for that. Tried to do it off the top ropes. Kenny Omega reversed it and did a super, uh, oh, man, what the hell is the name of this move? Why did I ask Blink on this? Uh, Kenny Omega's move. Chris, uh, need you. One-winged angel? Thank you. Super one wing. one-winged angel off the top ropes to Juice Robinson. Pinned him for the win. It was badass, and Kenny Omega's still selling like a motherfucker. He's one of the best wrestlers in the be- business. Um, but, yeah, you watched some of the highlights. How, how did you like some of the highlights? I'm sure you saw what I was talking about. Some would say that he's... Wrestling Geeks Alliance's number one wrestler of the year thus far. <laughs> 30th episode, and he's our number one. <laughs> we got to do another ranking soon, but uh, I don't think anyone's topped him yet. Um, fucking incredible match. I actually did watch this match. Uh, Juice Robinson has, man, his level of performance has stepped up so much just from G1 until now. It's just kind of incredible to watch. That guy, I still feel like he's going to be a huge star um, at some point. And he's got such a, like, the chemistry he has with being part of the Bullet Club versus Kenny Omega and these matches that they've had has been really, really entertaining to watch. Um, and I feel like it's a good way to get the title off Kenny Omega when they get ready to put the uh, <laughs> the New Japan heavyweight title on him, which I'm assuming has got to happen soon at some point coming up. Uh, he's been chasing that thing so. for forever. And, and if anyone deserves it at this point, I think Kenny Omega has showed New Japan that, like, hey, I'm kind of in it for the long haul. And, uh, like, he's he killed himself for every big match that they've had. Um, the guy goes all out. And he, he went all out in that match uh, against Juice Robinson, even with the uh, banged-up knee, which is legitimate. Um, great match. It's not, like, the best match Kenny Omega's ever had. And I don't know that – did you think it was better than the – 
the match he had against Juice at the G1 tournament? Because I, I felt don't like think it so, wasn't. But as, it was still a good match. It was still a good match. I don't think it was as good as that one. So if you like are interested in this match, hearing the podcast, I would say check out the G1 match if you had to just pick one to watch. Because um, it is pretty lengthy, but if you had to just pick one, check out the G1 match between Juice Robinson and Kenny Omega. Um, they're fucking phenomenal together. It was a great match. Absolutely. Um, all right, so we have one more match I wanted to go over. Kind of a disappointment for me. Uh, was Ring of Honor uh, Death Before Dishonor. Cody, can't say his last name, sorry guys. Uh, Cody went against Minoru Suzuki. Um, the... Uh, I know he's the open weight champion for New Japan. I forgot what the hell that's called. Cody's obviously the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, it was fun for a good, like, couple minutes into it. Then they brawled outside, and then it kind of became boring, and then Cody somehow got the win. I, it was pretty forgettable about, for me, but uh wanted to display it. Uh, I'm not even sure if you even watched the highlights. We don't even have to talk that much about it, but after watching Suzuki – a lot uh, after the G1 tournament and going back and watching a little bit of him. And knowing Cody, I think he's a good in-ring worker. I just thought it was a decent story. There was a one point where Cody, kind of like The Miz with Maurice, uh, Suzuki's about to kick him in the face. He's on the apron. He runs up while Cody's uh, outside, goes to kick him in the face, and Cody puts his girlfriend, or his wife actually, Brandy Rhodes, right in front of him. And Suzuki stops, and then he grabs him, takes him outside, starts beating the crap out of him, but... I will say this. Suzuki is an intimidating-looking dude. Uh, he's got a, a pretty damn good MMA record. I was very surprised to find out he never won against Brock Lesnar uh, when Brock was there. I guess I think he was over at All Japan right when that was happening. But that would have been a fun match to watch. Either way, Chris, do you care about this match at all? Uh, I like Suzuki okay. I'm not a huge fan. Um, and I just right off the bat, I haven't seen the match. But t- to me, their styles wouldn't work very well together. Um, it didn't. It, it's not anything against Cody. It's just he wrestles. He still has a little bit of that WWE style, which is not a bad thing, but he likes to slow the matches down a bit. And I feel like his best match has been against Okada since he's left. And uh, I don't know if that says anything about Cody or more about just like the differences in style and actually just, you know, how fucking good Okada is. Um, but Cody hasn't like super impressed me since he left. I think he had, like, one really good match against Jay Lethal that I watched and one really good match against uh, Okada. But overall, like, I haven't been over the moon on Cody independently. I I feel like Cody Rhodes is kind of what Cody Rhodes is. And uh, his personality has evolved a lot. And he gets to do more with his character, which is cool. But, like, his matches are kind of just there for me. Like, I would rather watch a Juice Robinson match. Um, But I like Cody Rhodes as a person, and I do – think he's a good wrestler overall it's just when you're talking about like your ring of honor champion there's such a high standard there for me after watching like people like Jay Lethal and uh you know uh fucking the, even the Briscoe brother that was champion a while back and uh fuck like I don't know Kevin Owens <laughs> like those guys in comparison to me are just like heads and shoulders above uh his in-ring ability. So I, I don't know. I just like to me, the, especially those two styles uh, specifically, just yeah, sound like be that great. I'm Jay Lethal had a match on that card, right? I can't remember who he wrestled, but I'm not sure. Um, I didn't see it. I kind of like 
will go through matches, and if I want to watch it, based on whatever reasoning, I'll do that. But I, he might have. He, he, actually, now you mentioned it, I need to go back because I think he did have a match on there. I wanted to see the Cody Suzuki main event. I think I just, like, skipped through everything else, but uh, who knows. I'm sure Jay Lethal won, though, because Jay Lethal's a badass. Let's just, you know, just say that. But, um, yeah, and that is Ring of Honor. Oh, actually, let me let me ask you. Did you uh, see all those pictures of um, basically our, our, our boys at the Bullet Club doing their little tribute to DX Invasion of Nitro? They went and grabbed a bunch of people. To the, basically, this is what happened. Uh, Cody, um, it was Cody and the Young Bucks. They offered a signing over at the, the nearest Hot Topic, very close to the venue that they, were, they had Raw at. And so, of course, they said, yeah, come on in. So they told a bunch of fans on Twitter they were going to be there. So they had this huge group of people. Well, afterwards, uh, you know, they were with um, Hangman Page, uh, Marty Skrull, and a lot of the major American-based um, Bullet Club members. And so they went to the venue with this crowd, and they were basically, like, making all these chants. And apparently in the mix, I don't know this type of stuff, but um, a lot of uh, WWE, you know, telling them cease and desist, they're using that as a gag. Uh, some of it's true, some of it's not from what um, Dave Metzler said. But one of the things they're saying is that Marty Scrolls not allowed to use his umbrella anymore because of Jack Gallagher because they have that license. <laughs> like, and they actually went to the arena and were replaying a lot of the stuff uh, that Triple H did with DX back in the day. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, but did you, did you get to see any of these pictures, Chris? I did. I uh, I did get to take a look at that. It was pretty funny watch following the Twitter feed during that. Um, I mean, it's just more of, you know, uh, them pushing the limit to what WWE will take with a cease and desist, which is funny. Um, I just kind of wish, like, I don't know. I, I, WWE should have just left this fuck the revival thing go and, and not brought attention to it because at the end of the day, all I did was make fans of uh, th- their fans more hyped on them shitting on WWE. So it's kind of just more just pointing, pointing at the fact, you know, like, Hey, ha ha ha. Uh, we're still doing this. So I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird scenario. I like WWE needs to get as far away from that shit as they possibly can. If they ever are going to plan on signing them or signing, uh, uh, Kenny Omega, which we Kenny. talked about this previously when this whole thing started, because like pissing off Kenny Omega is not like pissing off, like indirectly pissing off them, pissing off the Bullet Club in general is not a good way to get on Kenny Omega's good side. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that they have to. I mean, from what we've heard from many superstars, the bigger superstars. There are. They're the ones that, that build a relationship with Vince McMahon. I feel like AJ's got enough recognition to be able to have somewhat of a relationship with Vince, and I feel like AJ can vouch for, you know, the uh, the brothers. Uh, man, I can't – my brain is not working. Nick, Nick and Matt Jackson. Um, but, like, you know, about the whole entire thing, because he knows them. And, yeah, you just – it, back up from that whole lawsuit thing. I love that they're spinning it on them. I love that they're trying to bring out, like, extra stuff that's not even true to, like, make the whole entire thing. Like, that's, that's hilarious, especially when the Marty Scroll can't use the umbrella thing. Like, that even makes any sense whatsoever. But whatever, it was a fun little uh, tribute slash, you know, being ballsy Bullet Club members. And uh, they're like the modern DX NWO, so it makes a lot of sense. But, uh, all right, let, let's talk about something we haven't talked about before. Chris, let's talk about No Mercy. 
All right, so uh, let's do the kickoff match. You, we got Elias Samson live in concert. I'm loving, and you know, some of the only times I like Michael Cole when he's commenting or or doing his job is when he's doing these stupid tales of Elias Samson that are hilarious, and him and Booker T just feed off each other while Corey Graves can't stand him still. Like, I love what they do where, like, you don't necessarily have to be a heel or babyface um, ring announcer. Like, even Corey Graves doesn't like who's a heel with Elias, but just the scenarios they do and the dialogue is hilarious. I love Elias Samson. Uh, you know, there was a defeat uh, to Apollo Crews, who came out with Titus, because he's representing Titus worldwide. And uh, at the end, Elias lured back Titus in the ring, who was about to fight him because he started messing with Apollo again. Um, man, the drift away is such a sweet move. All it is is basically like an underhook. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the Honky Tonks move, but like the opposite way, I guess. But either way, I like Elias. This match was a throwaway match. Uh, Apollo Crews lost. Uh, do you think we're going to be getting uh, Elias versus Titus, Chris? Is really is there anything in that? Oh man, um, yeah, I guess so. They got to have something to do on the kickoff matches for the next couple weeks. So I guess, or for the next couple pay per views. So yeah, you totally could do, could do that. I mean, I liked Apollo Cruz's character when he was with Tazawa and with uh, not not Apollo Cruz, but uh. Titus, uh, Titus, is it Titus O'Neil? Titus O'Neil, or yeah, yeah. I liked what they were doing with Apollo Cruz and Titus O'Neil and Akira Tozawa, and I kind of wanted to see them expand that a little bit more. And this kind of went away from that a little bit, so I don't, I don't know. Um, but Elias Sampson, he he does a good job of uh, getting heat on himself for the match with his concerts and Michael Cole's commentary is, it's funny to some extent, but at it, some, you know, like it's also kind of like. I kind of want Gorilla Monsoon to show up and be like, will you stop? <laughs> like, will you stop? Uh, yeah, because it, it does go kind of out of <laughs> out there sometimes. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I kind of breezed through this match when I was watching it. Uh, so I don't have a lot to say about the actual in-ring work, but uh, it seemed okay from the little bit I watched of it. All right, let's see if you remember, because I didn't remember that last match either. The Intercontinental Championship match. So we start the show, and The Miz goes against Jason Jordan for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, the Miz Rush interfered. Weird! And Curtis Axel blindsided Jordan, allowing Miz to hit the skull-crushing finale and get the pin. I'm pretty sure, yeah, afterwards, uh, Jordan beat the crap out of all three of them and did the whole um, his, his quote-unquote dad thing and took off both, you know, his shirt. He's got the hell it's called. I'm not really doing well right now. Chris, save me. H- how did you like this match? Uh, I thought it was an okay match. I liked, uh, there were some parts there where they're obviously trying to get Jason Jordan to do specific Kurt Angle-esque things. Pulling down the straps on the singlet, one of them. Signature, like, Kurt Angle scream. He's kind of embraced a little bit and has started doing that. The match itself was fine. It was pretty much Miz selling the entire time. Um, and then he just got the skull-crushing finale for the win. I mean, it was, you know, the numbers just overcame Jason Jordan and, like, uh, Miz being the sleazy dirtbag he is, he cheated and, well, didn't really cheat, but he got the skull-crushing finale for the W, and that was kind of it. And then, like, afterwards, 
there was this, I can't remember if this was on Raw or after the match, but there was a really awkward promo where Jason Jordan was basically just getting booed out of the building, and he's he was trying to do these rehearsed lines, but he had just had a match. And he was talking about how, like, when people say Kurt Angle sucks, they mean it lovingly when, like, they're chanting it or whatever. And when people say The Miz sucks, The Miz just sucks. Sucks, and I was like, I, I don't know that there's a lot of people out there that think the Miz suck worse than you do, but like, go with that, I guess. I don't know. It was just really <laughs> awkward, and fucking like, uh, the crowd wasn't into it, and they weren't feeling him. And um, yeah, it's terrible. Just get the Miz far away from this guy because the Miz, like, the Miz isn't going to be able to elevate this guy. They're going to have to do more. And like, at this point, they should start working on a heel turn for Jason Jordan where he's not actually Kurt Angle's son or he attacks Kurt Angle or something like, because this exactly that was to me was their out for when this shit didn't work to begin with. And that was before I even knew it was Jason Jordan was going to be the the person. Um, but yeah, this shit's not working. So they need to call it audible and try to do something different, like channel their inner Tom Brady and fucking put this shit in the end zone by turning this guy heel and not actually being Kurt Angle's son. Uh, it's probably a good idea at this point. But, like, Miz could be going against other people that are like, I, Miz against, like, Samoa Joe or, like, Miz like, I don't know. There's so much more you could do with Miz in general than fucking have him as a gateway drug for wrestlers. Like, basically right now, they're like, if we don't know what to do with you, you go against Miz. You're and the babysitter, Miz. Miz. Yeah, like, Miz is <laughs> and it's because Miz is a safe in-ring worker is one thing, but also, like, they know any program with the Miz will at least have some interest because the Miz is so good on the mic. But yeah, I don't know. Fucking, I don't know. This thing, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad match, but it also wasn't anything special. And the Miz just had a Miz match, and uh, the Miz Taraj got involved and he hit the skull crushing the alley. That was, that's it. That's it. That was all. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I agree with you. If you turn Jason Jordan heel, I, I feel. He would have to do the rest by himself, have enough charisma and whatever. But it was JR, I believe, on his podcast said that um, the way the audience is reacting, maybe it was Dave Metzler, is very similar if they're able to flip it and do a heel thing to how Rocky was received. Now, they're not saying Jason Jordan died, but if they do this whole entire Kurt Angle thing and do what you're saying, you know, maybe it will elevate him. Maybe that can, you know, I just don't think the way they're doing it and the whole father-son angle is really working. And honestly, sorry, I think he's a great in-ring wrestler, but based on charisma and mic skills too, I think they should have gone with Chad Gable. I think he has a hell of a lot more charisma. Jason Jordan has as much as a wet shoe uh, to me. But, like I, I said, mean, they, they went with Jason or... Jordan. I mean, they went with Jason Jordan purely on size and the fact that he's bald. Yeah. So they play off like the Kurt Angle like, and give him like a similar look. Yeah. But the actual like, like Gable's always been the better wrestler of the two, and he always carried the most in the actual matches as far as like selling. Um, so when they went with Jason Jordan, it wasn't like I was surprised, but I was kind of, I was kind of like surprised that they picked the, for someone you're going to elevate to that slot, you kind of want them to be as good as possible. Like you're saying they're like one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, son. So it, I don't know. It's just a fuck. It's a fucking weird thing. I don't. I don't even. 
It's a stupid gimmick. It, it's setting it up for disaster. It's really ridiculous. But anyways, I feel like that more... if, they, if they listen to the fucking podcast, they at least have an out to get out of it. You know, like, if if they just had some common sense, they'd be like, we can flip this and make this not a thing. Like, we could totally have him beat up Kurt Angle in the back and, like, not actually be his kid and then have Kurt Angle have to get uh, an actual baby face, someone like uh, – I don't know. Like, name a babyface. Uh, Seth Rollins to have to fight for Kurt Angle or some shit. Like, I, I didn't think it was Other Kurt Hawkins. Players. He's not even a babyface, or even a. Never mind. But yeah, I, I get, I get what you're saying. Uh, let's go into more ridiculousness. Uh, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt. All right, so so here's this, Chris. Listen to me. Uh, Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt. They do a program. Uh, everyone wanted this, to, you know, way, way back when. They decide to hint at it, and they just drop it. Months later, they bring it back up. Um, and the first time they went against each other, Finn lost because Bray, I think he, he nailed the ropes, racked him, and then took him for, you know, uh, uh, did the uh, small package for the win. I believe that's what happened. He might have hit him with the sister Abigail into a package or just pinned him that way. But, you know, Balor was pissed off. He threw fake blood on him. Stupid. Uh, they have a pay-per-view not too long ago where the demon comes out. Keep in mind that Bray Wyatt's supposed to be a god. So the god goes against the man version of Finn Balor, beats the man version, goes against the demon. The demon beats him. Then this has to keep on going for some fucking reason, and Bray Wyatt is now saying that the demon is the only reason that Finn Balor won so now Bray is not a god anymore. He's a man and wants to fight man-on-man man with Finn Balor, where Finn Balor gets to say, hey, the man created the demon, so how do you think the man will be? This is all just really fucking stupid. Uh, they have a decent match. I'm not going to say it's not, but I think this should go into what happened um, on Raw. They're going to keep on going with this fucking storyline, and I'm so sick of it. How would you feel about the match? I think it was actually their best match that they've had. And it wasn't a bad match. I think it was it was a fine match. You know, I'm not going to say that it was bad. I just hate the storyline. And I was looking forward to it. It sucks that they didn't, you know, do it, to me, the right way. Uh, but how, how do you feel about it, Chris? Bro, I felt this was, like, one of the worst matches of the night, um, first and foremost. And I fucking hit it. So, I don't know. It's, it's fucking stupid. And now Bray Wyatt's got two losses, so, like, why does Finn Balor give a shit? Why are they That's getting... What I'm saying. So, like, I fucking hate everything about it. Like, the match wasn't that good. None of their matches have been that good. Promos are just Bray Wyatt fucking lamenting over, like, nothingness in his pretend land. Um, and then Finn Balor's, like, buying into this shit. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I totally believe in the supernatural and shit. But, like, also I created a demon. And it's like, that, to me... To me, that hurts his gimmick more than anything when he's like, no, the demon Absolutely. is made up. Like, I, I, made, I made the demon. And it's like, Bro, like, if you come out and say that the demon is just you putting on face paint, no one gives a shit. Like, you ruined your own yeah. gimmick. Like, Kane never came out, and he was like, oh, no, you know, like, the like the demon it was just, like, a, th- like a thing that I did. And, uh, yeah, I just made that thing up, you know? <laughs> Fucking, like... It's like, why would you bury... Like, why would you have him bury his own gimmick? Like, oh, if you think the fucking demons mean check out the man who made the demon. I get what they were going for, but at the same time, it's like... Well, even Bray... What they like, should have like done is... Yourself, what, 
You position yourself as a god, and then you can't beat the demon, and then you need to go man on man. Like, what the fuck was that? So is he a god? Is it really? Oh no, bro. God? What what I will say is, if you're like actually a demon, and this guy brought the demon out of you, why would the demon just go away? Because he said that you couldn't beat him as a man. Like, wouldn't that just piss the demon off and make you want to whoop his ass more? Like, why would he not be like, yeah, I'll totally face you normal, and then the demon just shows up at the pay-per-view. And it's like, oh, well, guess what? You're still booked in this match because his name is still Finn Balor, whether he's got face paint on or not. And then people, then he could have just, then he could just been like, get fucked, Bray Wyatt. Don't give a fuck. I'm a demon. (laughs) Like, like go, go with more of like a venom or a carnage type concept where it's like, oh yeah, like Finn Balor will totally say whatever you want him to say as the Finn Balor. But like, if you're trying to convince him not to be the demon, it doesn't work that way because the demon just possesses you. It takes over. So when you're like, I created the demon, it's like, oh man, fucking like, how you ruin your own gimmick, bro? Like, goddamn. WWE. So I fucking man. hated this. Yeah, you know, but honestly, at some point, that's like if, his character was that in New Japan too, and like he should have said something. He's like, that's fucking. St- why would I say that? That's fucking stupid. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how I would talk to those guys. That's one thing that, like we said, like Legends has said, if you have something to say, you better say it, because if not, they're going to go with whatever the fuck they think is best in the back. And the people that say stuff rise to the top, and the people that allow stuff to happen and don't stick up for their character. Like, people, and I mean, you can say what you want, but when Stone Cold left, that's a very good comparison concept. He didn't see why his character would do a certain thing. That's happened to a lot of wrestlers in the past. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it has to go to that that level, but... Then you're right. He probably should have said something like, "This is stupid." Honestly, if if I had any control over this, we would have Bray winning the series of matches uh, at first with 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 Finn as the demon at a pay per view. Okay, Bray cheats, but the whole thing is he consumes the demon and takes control of him. And you have Bray and and Finn for a part time period. They could be like a tag team, but but he's in control of Finn Balor. You know, keep on amping up the mystical concept instead of detracting it from both guys' gimmicks. Does not make sense whatsoever. So then later on, you could have the demon go against Bray, beat him completely, you know, destroy him, and they have another one, whatever. There's so many other ways that you could have done this. And do it right away. When you first hinted at it, when the brain split happened, uh, right after Mania, you know, start it up. Start going and keep on going from there. I don't know why the fuck they extended it. I'm just going to go to the next match, which is arguably, Chris, I think we would say the match of the night. The Raw Tag Team Championship match, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins uh, defeated Sheamus and Cesaro. Um, This match was fucking just crazy. Uh, Between what they've been doing consistently, especially with this match, and the Usos and the New Day, man, I would love to see the four tag teams. Well, actually, probably would. It probably wouldn't work as well. But I'm just saying the tag team divisions, as far as those specific pairings, have been amazing and a lot of fun. Um, And this is nothing but that. Actually, at one point, uh, Dean Ambrose tried to sling Cesaro over into the turnbuckle. Uh, He went over it, smacked his teeth into the metal post. Uh, And we thought, most people thought that he cracked them 
because he was freaking out at first. The reason why I was freaking out is because the teeth actually got jammed up into his gums. I think they said like four, four. I, I don't know. It was, it was a, it was a fart. You can see the damn teeth. They are so jammed up in his gums, and he still went and, and did the whole rest of the match for another 16 minutes. Uh, basically, at the end of it, an arrogant brogue kick from Sheamus hits Cesaro on accident, and then Sheamus got hit with the Kingslayer knee, which I think is now the call of the King's Landing, uh, from Rollins into Ambrose's Dirty Deeds and was pinned by Ambrose to win the match. I felt bad every time Cesaro got hit in the face. I know they were trying really hard not to do it, but, I mean, it was only inevitable. But that man is a trooper. How did you like this match, Chris? Uh, I thought it was I thought it was the match of the night, in all honesty. But, like, all right, I need to get something out in the open. Like, calling this move the King's Landing, when also this move is already taken from someone, he's taking the move name from Ricochet. So it's like, can this guy fucking get an original move and original move name for the love of fucking God? Call it the King's Slayer, but they call it the fucking King's Landing. King's Landing is already a move Ricochet has been using for a fucking long time. The lifting reverse STO. He's been doing it for fucking forever. Um, so after I got that out of the way, uh, yeah, the match was great. Um, I, man, that spot where, uh, I mean, fucking Cesaro is such a great wrestler. And the fact that he continued through this match like that is kind of fucking crazy. Um, and probably not very safe, but it was awesome. And, you know, it's cool to see that they retain the tag titles. I'm just like, to call the movie the move like to not even like Google search the move name Kingslayer to see if it's associated with a top wrestler before dubbing the name the Kingslayer is just fucking lazy and, and annoying. And the fact that it's already just a V trigger is annoying. Um I I don't know, man. That move just still frustrates me. And the fact that now it's named after another finish like another pro wrestler's finishing move is more annoying. Um what, yeah, whatever. I still hate Seth Rollins, turns out. But yeah, it was a good match. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. No, I agree. I mean, I guess it's one of those times where, once again, we'll probably... We'll, I think a chunk of that's creative, if anything. I mean, this guy's had to change his finisher now for the fourth time? Third time? I'm not 100% sure. I think he but should I mean, like, go- like, like Google the name. Like, all you have to do is, like... But all you got to do is, like, Google search Kingslayer wrestling move. It's true. But, you know, like, you know. just to see if it's already a fucking thing, like, or King's Landing. King's like, Landing. it's not even called, if it, yeah. if it was called Kingslayer, it would be an original name. Look, Kingslayer King sucked, but I ra- I'd rather him keep that as the name than taking someone else's move name. I'll definitely say that. But uh, I, I think the... Uh, I would say it's the second best night of the or second best night. Second best match of the night. Uh the Raw Women's Championship match. Alexa Bliss defeated Bailey, Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, and Emma. Uh Bliss was able to avoid a charge from Jax. Uh pushed uh, Emma into Bailey and then hit Bailey with the DDT to get the pin. I thought that segment was actually really done well. <laughs> it sucks for Bailey that she had to eat the pin. Uh, man, I really thought they hurt Nia Jax, Chris, when they did that pile driver to the outside. It was fucking awesome, but that seems like some, really something stupid to do with someone her size. Uh, how did you feel about the match, and how did you feel about that spot in particular? You know, like, honestly, I, I think it was 
think it sucked for Nia, karma? but she's tossed so many fucking yeah, it's just karma. She's tossed so many fucking people around without caring that like it was hard to feel bad for her. Yeah, it sucked, but like shit happens. And I, you know, it's not like anyone did that on purpose. She's a big person. I think it was a sketchy spot to begin with. Uh, I thought the match was good overall. I thought the uh, I thought the outcome was a little weird, but Emma Emma being in the match in general was weird, but yeah, it was a good match. I think that they did a lot more than they really needed to for that particular match. But, um, yeah, I was scared for Nia a little bit too, but it's just one of those things that happen in wrestling. And also it's just really hard to feel bad for her at this point after she's dropped so many people on their fucking heads. Been pretty reckless. Yeah, I would agree with you. Hey, do you feel like at the end where they made this big deal about Alexa Bliss going up the ramp and showing off her title – I know that they said that Oscar's not going to make an appearance since TLC, but couldn't they have just dropped the lights and put that little skull thing on the screen or something to, like, you know, freak out Alexa? I thought they were going to do it at Raw, too, and they didn't. It's like she was bitching about everyone being excited that she's coming. But, I mean, we all know she's going to be coming for Alexa Bliss or whoever the champion is. It seems like they missed a pretty big opportunity and a good chance to get a pop with the crowd. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. I feel like Alexa Bliss is a waste of Oscar. I feel like they. I, I wish oh, they would kind of wait till they get past these four horsewomen and then bring Oscar into the fold. Because if the idea is that Oscar is this unstoppable monster, and then you're building a storyline around the four horsewomen, it overshadows what Oscar is able to do in the ring. And I kind of yeah. wish they would just avoid that in general. Um, I want because Oscar it's not. I mean, just like she's not going to be involved. I think yeah. maybe that's where they're going to go with it because that's the only thing that really makes sense because there's no reason, like, if Alexa Bliss beats Asuka, it kills everything that Asuka's done on NXT for, like, a year and a half or two years. I'll hate that. So, you know, it's... I think that would piss um, off Bill Goldberg, for Christ's sakes. I think it would piss off a lot of people. And also, I feel like uh, that's why it's kind of a, a way... It's a waste of Oscar. Like if you're gonna, if you want to go that route, you really need it to happen that fast. Put the title on Sasha, and have her just demolish Sasha Banks. Um, otherwise, like yeah. wait until this four horsewomen thing plays out, and then have Oscar go after whoever comes out of, out on top of that. Do you, Do you think that maybe they they think that the reason why they're getting Mickey James involved is that Mickey's gonna take the title, and then they're gonna have Oscar against Mickey because they have experience in the ring, maybe. They like working with each other, so I think that would be a good transition for Oscar to get the title for Mickey, inevitably. Man, I have, that's a good question. Um, possibly, but I feel like Oscar can really work with anyone, so I don't I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. Yeah. She doesn't seem to have as much yeah. of a langu- language barrier barrier as Nakamura has, um, as far as I can tell. So I, I don't really see that she'll have any problem at all. And she works more, like, she has learned to work more the WWE style. Um, I, I, You know, honestly, I don't think it really matters who they put her against. I feel like she'll have a good match with anyone. I mean, she's already worked. She's also worked with Bailey, and she's worked with Nia Jax. Yes. So it's not, it's not crazy that they could go with any of that stuff, to be completely honest. I mean, they, they had fine matches in NXT. Well, we'll have to find out. The next match was the quote-unquote passing of the torch match. Uh, Actually, it wasn't passed. If anything, Roman Reigns came and took it. I'm quoting John Cena. Man, that actually, the after 
the after interview on the Raw uh, talk where John Cena was just being flat out about the whole entire thing and just realizing that he doesn't have that much time left. And even, like, King tried to, like, give him some support and, like, you know, pat him on the back, and he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But, like, he started tearing up, and I was like, wow, I've watched this guy right at the beginning come in, go against Kurt Angle, and just elevate himself to probably being the biggest wrestler because of the fact that of how much longevity. I mean, he's held the company for a very long time. Like, I like, I love Hulk Hogan. I love The Rock. I love Stone Cold. That's probably the Mount Rushmore, you know. But John Cena, if, if it was five, it would be Ric Flair. Just like Ric Flair would go to every territory and elevate that territory, John Cena for a long time has made the WWE stand out during a time period where the WWE was hurting. So kudos to John kind of hit me a little bit that the re- realizing that not only is he, you know, getting in his 40s, but a lot of my favorite wrestlers, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, a lot of these guys are getting up in age, and they don't have forever left. So it's, it's just it's crazy, but uh, they had a good match. I'm not going to say it wasn't, uh, you know, impressed at all. I think that it could have been a lot more uh, packaged in, but, you know, it, it's just because I thought that there should have been more, a couple more, at least – Another spear. Like, I would have loved to see that spot that um, he did against Undertaker where he did a spear, Taker got up, and then he went off the ropes and got, like, so much momentum and nailed him again. Uh, but I get it. If you look at the whole entire thing, he did spear him through a table. Uh, he also almost knocked himself out in that whole entire spot. But John Cena gave him, uh, uh, what you call it, attitude adjustment, and then went off the top ropes and did a super one, and then later did a double connecting one which all better be available in 2K18, you motherfuckers. Um, but it was awesome. So, uh, Chris, I thought it was a good match. Um, I thought John did a good job putting Roman over, but I really just don't think that Roman's over yet. I do think that on Monday he did have a good reception from the crowd. I did want to mention that. Um, he was definitely getting over, and he seems to be calmer on the mic. I think that there have been good things between the two of them. Uh, but how did you feel about the match? Uh, I got. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. No, I, I agree oh, with you. Sure. I thought I actually I didn't hate this match. I thought it was a pretty good match overall. Um, it wasn't a great match, and I kind of I kind of expected a better match with it being John Cena, and it seemed kind of like uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe they don't mesh well together, or yeah. That's like I, I thought heard. Roman's match. I thought Roman's match with Undertaker was better, and John Cena's definitely had better matches. Um, but also, John Cena hasn't really worked a high-profile match in a while, so it could just be a little bit of ring rust. I mean, outside of – he had the big match with uh, – I mean, I guess it was a big match, but he had that match with Rusev. But they've wrestled each other like a bazillion times, and then this is the first time he's really wrestled Roman um, for that long. And I, I thought it was an okay match. I mean, it wasn't. it definitely wasn't the worst match I've ever seen in my life. It, it just – I kind of expected more because it was John Cena. And originally, I had I had this thing pegged as like what was going to be match of the night for me, so it was a, yeah, a little sad that it, I didn't get quite quite the match that I wanted. But I won't shit on it. Like you know, they did a lot, and I thought the match was good, and it had pretty good storytelling um, leading up to the match. I mean, the promos were some of the most entertaining thing on Raw in the past few weeks. So from that standpoint, I mean, you got the payoff. Roman Reigns got the win. I kind of almost what. Everyone on the podcast predicted that Roman was going to win besides me. So I feel like a lot of people knew how things were going to go. Um, as far as this being John Cena's last match, I like that's far-fetched. No, 
far. He's far no, from I, I think he's just saying that his uh, career's dwindling down. Like, this is the first time he's realizing that it's on its way to the ending point, if you will. You know, he's only got a couple years left, basically, which sucks that he yeah. has to realize that. But I, I feel like they should have do done the storyline when he left his armband in the center of the ring after him and AJ had that one hell of a match. If they're gonna go that down the road, it's fucking awesome match. If they're gonna if they're gonna do the storyline of that when he took the armband off and left it in the center of the ring, and kind of said goodbye to the crowd and then went on his vacation. If they're gonna play the storyline of like John Cena is not the same John Cena that you've known before, that was the time to do it. So it feels weird that they're doing it now. Um, but other than that, like I mean, as far as Roman Reigns' mic skills, I think he's gotten a lot better. And I think it has a lot to do with what the Usos were able to accomplish. Because when the crowd turned against the Usos, they turned the Usos heel and they just let them do like be the Usos and kind of show more of their actual personality and who they are in real life, the way they talk. Like they, like if you watch up, up, down, down, that's kind of how they talk in real life. Like instead of being happy, smiley Samoan guys, like, you know, they got a little bit edge to them. Um, and I feel like if you do more of that with Roman Reigns, I think he'll connect with the crowd more. And, and as they start to establish that, figure that out, he'll be better. And I think a lot of it was like they could have turned Roman Reigns heel a long time ago and achieved this if they went the route that they did with the Usos, especially when the Usos were helping him and people were booing the Usos, which is kind of what led them to become heels. Um, I feel like they could have went the same route and, like – he would be as over as a heel as the Usos are. And I feel like the Usos are fucking, like, mad. Like, to see people wearing Day One Is H shirts. By the way, Day One Is H. Still funny. Day One um, Is H? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, still great. But, like, uh, but as far as what you're saying, yeah, he's gotten a lot better on the mic. And I, I feel like they're um, – Cena elevated him. And Cena elevates everyone. I'm not surprised. I feel like he stepped his mic game up a little bit. Now, the thing is, is you can't let him go against someone that can't talk at all now. or Like, don't put him in another weird Podcast. program. Yeah. I was talking about Herbert. Um, I thought I muted my thing, but I didn't. But, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of time to see what happens in that situation. Um. The next match that we should probably go into is fucking Cruiserweight, which we talked about a little bit. We actually had Neville, who's been billed up as one of the best heels in the business, right? You know, he's, he has Cruiserweight title, right? Us and Aries can't even fucking get a win over him. Um, they gave it to Tozawa for three days, put it back on Neville. Enzo comes in and doing the Eddie Guerrero concept, which I love that we're calling it that. I mean, it is. Uh, Yano does a similar thing. I think Yano and, and Enzo should have a match. Yano should beat the shit out of him. Um, anyways, uh, Enzo Moore, you, you can cheat and everything, but if you're not a great wrestler, it just sucks that that's your only fucking advantage. Uh, Neville was about to win by countout, but Amore taunted him by holding the championship belt. Uh, Neville chased Enzo back in the ring, and Enzo threatened to use the title as a weapon. When the referee removed the title from the ring, Amore kicked Neville with a low blow and rolled him up for the pin with tights uh, to win the championship. What the fuck? We already went into the Cruiserweight, uh, you know, whole sh- I knew this match was going to be bad, Chris, but this was not a good match. Uh, how did you feel about it? I thought the match was fine up until the finish. I think the count-out, I think they could have done the same spot without the count-out. 
In fact, that they, they've done it with uh, Sasha Banks before where she threw the title belt um, at someone, kind of an Eddie Guerrero-type style. But there, there's ways they could have done this without the count-out aspect. I think the count-out aspect, to me, kind of ruined it. Because it's like the ref's not going to stop counting just because he has the belt. And the ref just, like, totally stopped counting. It's like, well, he's outside of the ring. Like, the fuck's he going to do with it out there? Like, I it just made the ref look stupid. It definitely made Neville look stupid because Neville is a heel. So he should know every dirty fucking bastard trick in the book, right? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it wasn't a great the, – the match itself was fine, but it was mostly just Enzo selling, which is like kind of every Enzo match because Enzo has like four offensive moves. So, what I mean, like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, he is. He ripped off um, – what's his name? I don't remember. I don't care. He does what Carmella used to do, which is like uh, I can't remember what he calls it. It's got some kind of name, like. Doesn't Xavier Wood be one of his finishers? Xavier's changed his finisher. His finisher since he moved to the main roster was that uh, is that uh, second rope elbow drop. Oh yeah. Where you springboard to the second rope. Um, but yeah, like it's kind of lame. Dude, Xavier Woods is his finisher in TNA was fucking awesome. So I don't know why he doesn't just do that, but we'll let him have it. But uh, yeah, no, no, I was okay match. All that shit. Yeah, I just don't like the outcome. I'm really worried at what they're doing to division. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Let's go into the last match. We had the WWE Universal Championship match. Brock Lesnar defeated Braun Strowman. Lesnar hit Strowman with the F5 and pinned him to retain his title. I... I'm very aggravated they couldn't have built this match a little bit more. They could have added a little more destruction. Um, you know, I know that Brock had no problem putting Braun over. He likes Braun. He sees potential, and that's when Brock's a little bit different about situations where normally he just wants to suplex shit out of him 60 times and call it a match. Um, so this ship match should have been like the last Goldberg, the Mania-Goldberg-Brock match, but Braun actually could perform, um, and they could have had a someone should have gone through a fucking table. I'm sorry. I know that spot's overdone, but it's just, it's true. That should have happened. There should have been a lot more. There should have been another F5. That shouldn't have just been the only thing that beat Braun Strowman. I think he gave his power slam three times to Brock, I believe, throughout the whole entire match. It just, it sucks. I mean, this makes me worried, and I I feel like it's going to happen, but Jinder's going to beat Shinsuke because... The guys that are most over, it seems like, eh, no, no, never mind. Sorry. Not going to happen now. I'm just getting bored with it. Um, This is probably one of the most disappointing matches. Like, I actually like the Roman and John Cena match. This one disappointed the shit out of me. I thought it was going to be Mayhem and Carnage and and King Kong versus Godzilla, and it really wasn't. It was Rampage. That was about it. How did you feel, Chris? Kind of the same way, man. Uh... I, it was a it was a good match. I like that Brock. You know, Brock is selling for these guys way more than he used to. And from that standpoint, it kind of reminds me, like they keep showing shades of the fact that Brock can be beaten. And I think what they're going for is what Kenny Omega and Okada have, where it's like, yes, Kenny Omega can beat. He can beat Okada. It's possible. It's possible to get it done. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what they're going for, mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, it's possible to beat Brock Lesnar, but they don't do as well at the storytelling aspect of it, if that makes sense. Um, oh, I agree. So it just comes off as, 
as, you know, Brock Lesnar being a beast. But Brock, it's not because Lesnar is doing anything wrong. Like, Lesnar has been putting – to me, Lesnar has been putting on his best effort since he came back to the WWE to try to make these guys look good. I mean, he's selling like a motherfucker for these guys. His last two matches were mostly like Brock Lesnar selling, which is kind of kind of crazy, right? Absolutely. I mean, I just well, when it comes to a finisher, I feel like they're, they're devaluing a lot of their finishers. But we've talked about that that at length. Um, I don't think Braun's going to be away from the main title scene. I would love to see him and Samoa Joe actually finally get the collide against each other if we're going to keep on these monster versus monster uh, while Brock's out. But eventually, I do want to see a strap on Braun Strowman. I think he should be carrying Raw right now. I think that he's earned it. And he's proved that he's, uh, he's, he's just fun to watch. Um, so we'll find out. But anyways, that is another wonderful episode of Geek Vibes Live Presents Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Um, listen to us every Wednesday. We're actually moving to Thursdays next month, so we'll be going from 7 until 9 on Thursday, starting in October. For right now, or next week, I should say. Join us on Wednesdays at 7. It's been a fun conversation. I'm trying to think of anything else in wrestling that I can, like, wrap up that happened. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll let my uh, co-host and cohort, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton, brother Ray, uh, you know, give a couple outs and uh, say goodbye to the wonderful folks. Christopher, it was a pleasure, sir. Oh, man, always. And hopefully we'll get Thomas back in next week. Uh, Thomas, check him out. Thomas Brewington, the Thomas the Project Brewington, absolute monster, top 500 wrestler in the world, according to PWI. Make sure you check him out on YouTube. Make sure you check out Geek Vibes Alliance, as always. Um, Keep watching wrestling. Definitely check out uh, Juice Robinson versus Kenny Omega, and I hope you guys have a fucking awesome week. Yeah, and also remember we got a awesome interview with Michael Rosenbaum tomorrow, and of course our show on Saturday night with Geek Vibes Live. You guys have a good one, and listen to this wonderful jam from Metallica mixed with Bret Hart's theme. Ha <laughs> ha! Rock and metal, bitches. <laughs>